1: Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. This is the first episode of 2023. Happy New Year to everyone. What an exciting year of opportunity. And today we're going to focus on what it feels like to start with a simple idea, maybe starting in a small organization. What does it feel like to go through the experience of starting from that very simple start and watching something transform into something unimaginably fantastic at scale at impact and my guest today has lived that we're going to explore that with drew sechrist who is a serial entrepreneur he's a veteran sales leader and ceo and co-founder of connect the dots now way back in 1999 drew sent a cold email to Mark Benioff, and that resulted in him landing an account executive job at this developing company called Salesforce. And he was employee number 36. Drew became the company's highest producing seller and the highest producing sales manager as Salesforce scaled from zero dollars in revenue to more than a billion dollars in revenue. Drew also moved into the role of VP of Salesforce's high tech vertical, calling on customers that you've heard of, such as Apple and EMC. Drew also launched his first tech company back in 2010, uh, Kazoo, and he went on to serve as an investor, advisor, and chief revenue officer for other various startups before founding Connect the Dots in 2019. Now, as a young seller, one of the things that Drew Learned was the value and the impact of introductions from senior executive leaders who opened up their networks and made warm introductions. So, this aspect of relationships and the value we take from the relationships that we can form in our ecosystem is also something we're going to explore with Drew. And he certainly has benefited from that. And all the way from the rolling hills of Pennsylvania. Drew, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Uh,
0: Dan, that was an incredible introduction and thank you. Uh, Greetings from the Poconos in Pennsylvania.
1: So Drew, I want to go back because your career has really been shaped in and around this exciting world of innovation and technology. And I'd like to know what originally sparked your interest in going down a technology career path.
0: So it wasn't it wasn't clear to me that that was the path that I would take um, in college. I, I didn't study something technical in college, um, and uh, and I actually was kind of uh, in in some ways late to the computer game. I I had uh, learned how to code when I was in high school a bit on a TI 99 4A computer, if you remember those things. Oh yeah. Uh, but then uh, but then when I went to college, I actually didn't have a computer. Uh, my roommate I would rely on my roommate's computer to use his or. Or go to the, the lab, uh, the school lab, to get a computer. But I never actually thought it would, uh, you know, make make sense to spend the, lots of money at that point to get a to get a computer for uh, the limited things that I needed it for. Um, but then, and I and I graduated in 1996, so um, it was before the internet really took off. It was mm-hmm. just starting to happen um, in my last year of school, and I I, um, I actually spent my last year abroad. Um, and went to Austria for a year. Uh, it's kind of odd to do it as your last year, but I, I was in a, a varsity swimmer as an undergraduate. And so I couldn't do it for the first four years of of school because uh, I had a scholarship. And if I didn't swim, they didn't pay me to, to go to school. So I, I left that one year abroad or left here, uh, that one year to go abroad um, and went to Austria. And the internet was starting to take off at that point. And it became a kind of a, it became clear that something was really going to happen here because I was using, I think, Hotmail at that time, if I recall correctly. And I was communicating with people back at school in the U S using email. And, um, and so, you know, things are starting to look a little bit more interesting. But then when I came back from, um, from my year abroad, um, and it wasn't quite the first company that I worked for, I think it was the, it was the third company that I worked for, in relatively quick succession coming back to uh, North Carolina, uh, I worked for a company that was doing um, implementations of customer relationship management software, CRM software. And um, the, uh, actually, I got to rewind for a second. The company right before that one, we were using uh, some really basic contact management software to try and track the, the companies that we wanted to sell to, Act, if you recall that company, yes, um, and um, and so that led to this the next company, which uh, which was uh, a company implementing CRM or SFA products, Salesforce Automation products, and um, and at that point I realized like this is really neat, um, the we we can um, network a tool like this, the Salesforce Automation tool, so that lots of salespeople can use it inside of the company. And um, we can share our visibility to our contacts and the companies that we're selling to and uh, the deals that we're working on, the pipeline of opportunities. And at that point, I realized this is this is pretty neat. I think that um, I think I think this is where I want to spend my time. And um, so that was the that was the origin. And then that ultimately led to uh, what became the cold email to Mark Benioff later, because I realized, okay, technology is neat. We can do some pretty cool things with this. Um, we can uh, do things much more efficiently, but this specific way that this technology has been implemented has a lot of drawbacks. It's, it's very inefficient. There are a lot of technical problems with it. There are a lot of usability problems with it. And uh, so then when I found out what Mark Benioff was planning to do, which is essentially uh, rewrite all of Salesforce automation software, from the ground up so that it could be deployed natively on the internet so you could anybody could literally just go to salesforce.com and their web browser and get all the software it was mind-blowing to me how much uh complexity that would remove from the entire uh the stack that was required to deliver that those capabilities to uh to users so that is you know in a nutshell that's that's how i got the uh the bug
1: interesting journey and I bet you saved that email. You probably have that for reference, right? The cold email.
0: <laughs> oh, oh man, you're, you're, you're actually, uh, that's, you're stabbing me right in the heart right now. Cause I, I, um, I regret that that Hotmail account that I had, I let it go away at some point. And I, um, uh, I switched to Gmail whenever Gmail came out and then I stopped using my Hotmail account. And I remember my Hotmail account was overrun with spam. There was some point, you know, when, when hotmail, yeah, yeah. They, they, they hadn't developed the antibodies against spam yet. And so I just let it go away and it's gone. And that hotmail account was secret at hotmail.com. And, uh, I can't get it back. So,
1: well, yeah. it's lost to the sands of time, but great that you're able to share. And obviously the outcome was, uh, just amazing. And being a very early hire, number 36 at one of the world's most dynamic and visible technology companies, what are some of the biggest highlights and challenges you took from your Salesforce experience?
0: Well, the highlights—there are a ton of them. But you know, number one, I would say is um, number one, I would say is the network that I walked away with. So, ten years later, after having been there at Salesforce, uh, you know, I now—I at that point, I had an incredible network of colleagues, former colleagues, uh, customers, partners. Uh, you name it. Um, so I, when I set foot in San Francisco for that job for the first time in November of 1999, I, I basically knew nobody out there. Uh, I grew up on the East Coast and I didn't really, I didn't really know anybody west of the Mississippi. And so by the time 10 years later, when I had finished my tour of duty at Salesforce, I, you know it was a gargantuan number of people and lots of them were very, you know deep relationships. Um, and, uh, you know, we have gone, we gone to war together, you know, business war together. And, and so you really get to see each other, you know, have their metal tested and, and you get to, you, you get to know people really well in that mm-hmm. environment. Um, so that was probably, you know, one of the biggest takeaways, uh, that, that I, I got the other was, you know, it was financially quite rewarding and it was great to be at a company that was, that was, uh, a very small startup pre-revenue and then go to a billion dollars. And you know, have uh, an equity stake in the company, and then also get the commission checks that come along with being a successful salesperson. So that was pretty incredible too. Um, and then you know, just the experience and the pattern recognition that comes from being in an environment like that. Um, what are the things that work and don't work? And uh, you know, what are the what are the habits and behaviors of a really successful company? Um, you know that uh, you know everybody wants to learn that and. Uh, unfortunately, there's a gamble with any company that you join you know you, they, they can't all be a, a salesforce or a Google or you know a Facebook or some you know runaway success a lot of them are, are just not going to work out for whatever reason. So there's just a you know it's a gamble uh, when you pick a company to go work for you know, are you going to find one like that? and um, so I was I was lucky and I would also say I was a little bit good but I was mostly lucky but I was a little bit good because, when I saw the value proposition that Mark uh, Benioff was making uh, to, to rewrite software from the ground up, to run on the internet, to do the Salesforce automation stuff. uh, I thought, boy, that makes a lot of sense, but there were a lot of other companies that tried to do it too. And they certainly didn't end up with the same results as Salesforce. So um, I think those are the, you know, those are the, those are some of the highlights you had asked about challenges too, uh, from that experience. Um, The, yeah.
1: Yeah. would you like me to answer that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like going into that situation, there were some things you knew, there's some things that were probably unknowns, anything unexpected that uh, ended up being a challenge.
0: Well, I mean, the, I, there was a lot more that I didn't know than I did know at that point, for sure. Um, I was 26 years old and i had a little bit of work experience, um, on the East coast in North Carolina. Um, but I would say, you know, I was, I, now I felt like I'd been called up to the big leagues in San Francisco, yeah, uh, in Silicon Valley. And, um, and so I didn't have any real formal uh, training in sales. And I, in fact, when I was interviewed by Mark, the way, the way, what happened after I sent that cold email to Mark was uh, basically, I was trying to resell Salesforce. That's what my company in North Carolina did. And Mark said, well, we're not going to have a reseller network. We're just going to have a direct sales team. And I said, well, maybe we should talk about something else then. And, you know, the implication being like me working for you in some other capacity. Mm-hmm. And he said, fly, okay, fly out to California. Let's talk. And so I did. And um, when I met with Mark, he's like, you know, what do you want to do for us? And I said, I, you know, I don't code. <laughs> it's not at the level that you need me to code. So I can do anything except code for you. Um, what do you want me to do? And he said, you should, you should go sell. And that's how I got into sales really. And, um, but I, but, you know, he liked my passion. He liked my you know my firsthand experience with our customers in North Carolina, the mid-market customers that we were selling these other CRM tools, these other Salesforce automation tools. Um, he liked all that, but what he, you know, what I didn't have was any real experience, uh, professional experience, um, you know, uh, uh, like learning how to sell, and sell to enterprises. And so I had to learn that on the job, and I was kind of, you know, nervous that they were going to find out that I. Was a fraud. Like I don't know how to do this. You know, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. how am I gonna, how am, how am and I was, I was there with a bunch of the other people who had been hired into the company, all had worked for companies like Siebel or Oracle or other, you know, startup companies that had, you know, real B2B sales, um, you know, DNA in them. And um, so that was one thing. I just had, I had to learn it on the fly, quite frankly. And uh, and I was very nervous that. I wasn't going to make it; that they were going to cut me. Um, so maybe that nervousness and that uh, you know that fear drove me to really just work hard until I became competent at the you know craft of selling, and then and then eventually became you know uh, expert at it over time. And um, so I think that was one of the you know big unknowns. Another big unknown was the dot com bubble burst. When I when I got there, it was. You know, one of the cra- it was like the Roaring Twenties. I imagine it was so crazy in San Francisco in 1999. Um, you know, there's all this venture capital money yeah. flooding into, you know, all these startups. A lot of the startups were crazy ideas that had made no sense, but it didn't matter. There was plenty of money to fund those things, and and so that was the environment I stepped into, and it was like, you know, uh, it was kind of like a dream. It was super fun. Um, but it was not sustainable, as we all know. So the, when the dot-com bubble burst, um, what that did was we were off to the races at that point. We we're doing really well. Salesforce was doing really. We had started selling. We were selling primarily to other small companies, primarily to you know other startup companies that were funded by all this uh, you know this uh, venture capital that was flowing into the the industry. And then almost overnight, um, maybe 30% of them were dead. You know, their, their, their investors pulled the plugs on them and uh, because, you know, the, the bubble had burst and we thought maybe this is going to be the end of us, too, at Salesforce. We were pretty nervous because uh, as a SaaS company, you rely on uh, companies continuing to pay their bill. And, you know, we at that point, a lot of our companies were on a month to month basis. So they weren't signing annual contracts. It was just, you know, they, they like our product next month. Well, great. They're going to continue paying us. If they don't, they stop paying us and they turn it off. So overnight, almost like a third of them went away, and um, so I was—I had these, you know, bad dreams that I was going to end up, you know, going to have having to go back to my parents' place in Pennsylvania and you know, live on their couch or in their basement or something, like a lot of people had to do them because their, you know, their jobs got cut and and uh, the companies downsized or went out of business. Uh, but luckily, I made the cut and uh, continued to go on with. Salesforce had a dip and continued to grow uh, and continue to grow. I mean, you can look at the track record, it continued to grow quite well after that. But, you know, that was definitely a huge challenge and super nerve wracking. Um, and particularly when you're young and you don't have a lot of pattern recognition to that kind of thing, you've never seen a downturn in the economy like that. Um, uh, it was uh, it was a heck of a challenge. Uh, but it was also, in retrospect, one of the best things that happened because, uh, because I lived through it and I saw what that looks like, and I saw how Salesforce handled that very tough situation, and, and how Mark positioned it. Mark Benioff uh, was great at seeing the positives in in any situation, and uh, and and a you know a correction in the economy, a recession, it is an opportunity. Yes, it's it's a it's a hard thing for a lot of people, but it's also an opportunity yeah. if you see it the right way. Yeah. Um, so I would yeah. say those are some, some of the highlights and some of the you know big challenges from the the early days.
1: Well, well, one of the things we talked about earlier, and I actually cover a whole chapter dedicated to this in my recent book, The Impact Makers. It's about the power and the impact of developing healthy, trusted, and authentic relationships. I know you're passionate about this, Drew. What do you think are the key drivers to achieve those kinds of relationships?
0: Yeah. I, I, so I think... Um, there are two things that I'd focus on. Um, uh, one is uh, bring your authentic self to everything you do, uh, and the other thing is pay it forward. I think those those two pillars are really important things to to stand on. On uh, so if you're you know if you get the reputation for bringing your authentic self all the time, uh, presenting to, to people what you're you know if you've got an agenda, present what your agenda is so that it's not a hidden agenda. Um, I think that helps an awful lot in, in, uh, in your relationships. And um, the other thing that I mentioned, paying it forward, I think if you go through life with an attitude of how can I make this better for all of, you know, all of my brothers and sisters out there on the planet, um, then, uh, you know, you're gonna, you, you are reaping, you, you will ultimately reap what you're sowing. So, um, I, you know, I've I've tried to do that a ton, and I'll, you know, just to go back to the early days at Salesforce, uh, I was at some point I was the you know the number one producer in the company uh, for revenue, which is great. That's like you know being the you know the, the high scorer on the on the floor. But I was also probably at points the number one uh, the number one for assists as well. So whenever I could find an opportunity uh, to help somebody else out in the company, you know, my my fellow account executives. Uh, I was trying to find leads for them. Uh, I was also trying to find uh, new job opportunities for my uh, my customers. If I had talked to somebody and they're like, hey, you know, um, something's going on in our company, and I think it's time for me to move on, I'd find new places for them and find great new jobs. Uh, and that would be awesome for me. In the end, those things paid off really well because that person was happy with how I, you know, helped them and and uh there might be an opportunity in the future to you know purchase more salesforce.com licenses at their new comp- company and so um i think uh i think you know those are there there are a bunch of other things we could talk about but those are two pillars that i think really helped me be successful and also just feel good about uh, what i was doing in life
1: yeah it makes a lot of sense i heard really this core philosophy around transparency that's what really jumped out to me about that And uh, it goes all in with the authenticity and and really building trust over a period of time. Now, something that you've also spoken about is this concept of there being a shortcut for go-to-market success. What is that all about?
0: Yeah. And that's actually what I've uh, been dedicating my life to uh, lately. And that shortcut is is relationships. Um, So, uh, I'll, I'll start this with a little bit of an anecdote um, when um, several years into uh, the salesforce.com story uh, we started to go up market we were selling larger and larger deals and you know we went from being a product for the uh, smb market to being something for the mid market to you know something you know starting to maybe look like we could be for the enterprise and uh, so uh, as we started getting closer to these enterprise deals um, Mark Benioff uh, thought we needed to you know, hire in a sales leader who was an expert at enterprise transactions. And uh, we ended up hiring in a guy named Jim Steele. And uh, Jim Steele is actually still there. He left for a while and did some other amazing things. Uh, I think he was at Yex taking them public. And then he uh, came back as a boomerang to Salesforce uh, within the last year or so. And uh, so Jim, uh, when uh, I was part of the interview process with Jim, and uh, he uh, after that, after I had met with Jim, Mark Benioff came up to me and said, OK, Drew, what do you think about Jim? Should we hire him? And I said, absolutely. Two thumbs up. He's amazing. And uh, so Jim was hired and, uh, you know, he was, came in as uh, the, the head of all sales at that point. And he said, Drew, thanks a lot for you know, giving me the thumbs up so that I could be here and work with you guys. How can I repay you? And I said, Jim, I'm so glad you asked. Here is my uh, here's my territory. These are the accounts that I'm trying to sell into. Do you have any relationships with any but any executives at any of these companies um, that could be helpful? And um, he uh, he looked at the list and he said, Great, let's do this. And uh, he's like, Great, I see. Uh, here's a great one. AMD. Uh, I know Henri Richard, who is uh, the president of worldwide operations at AMD, which is a big semiconductor company. And uh, that um, so he called Henri and said, Hey. Andre, I'm now at uh, Salesforce. Would love to come tell you about what we're doing and bring Drew Seacrest along. Uh, he's going to be the account executive for AMD. And uh, we went down and met with Henri. I could have never gotten that that I could have never gotten into Henri's office. There's no way. He was, you know, was a pretty big deal. And there I was sitting in front of Henri with Jim and having this great conversation. And they went back a long ways. Uh, you know, their careers overlapped. And uh, next thing you know, Henri has sponsored us in to meet with his team and then do all of the uh, the project work to figure out if we could uh, meet their requirements uh, for a CRM system. And, uh, and then we we did that. We did that work and came back and presented our findings to Henri and he was excited about it and he signed off and we got a million dollar deal. And that was a really big deal for us uh, back in the early days of Salesforce. No. So the shortcut was that relationship. That relationship is the shortcut i i couldn't have gotten that deal i wouldn't have gotten any deal with amd uh uh, without that relationship that jim had so um everybody knows this i've 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 basically said something that is a complete no-brainer everybody knows yes if you've got a great relationship that's um that is the ultimate shortcut the the thing that's new information is how you get that shortcut more often And that's the thing that I've been focusing on uh, lately in in my my new company, which is called Connect the Dots. And Connect the Dots is based on this idea that we all have these latent networks of relationships that we could and should be tapping into so that we can jump straight to the decision makers and straight to the influencers on the deals that we want to sell at the companies that we want to sell to. So uh, for B2B sellers, uh, what we believe at Connect the Dots is you should set up what we call the super graph. The super graph is a graph of all of the relationships that your company has across everyone. Uh, And the way that you can do that is uh, when you set up a connect the dots account, we have built the AI that analyzes all of the header data on the emails that your team has sent or received to anybody and everybody over the history of your company. And then on top of that, we layer that on top of LinkedIn And everybody can also connect their own personal email accounts and create a personal graph that they get to keep Mm. uh, for themselves for life. But it's part of the global super graph for the entire company. And that means you have incredible visibility across all of these relationships that your sales team can tap into to find more of the Henri Richard's. Uh, So you don't have to just, uh, you know, stumble around in the dark like I did, you know, back in whatever that was, 2003 or 2004, when I, you know, showed Jim a paper printed out list of my accounts and Jim happened to know that he knew that uh, Henri was now at AMD. You don't have to do that anymore. Now what you can do is with Connect the Dots, you can uh, upload your list of all of your accounts that you're selling to and upload a list of all of the titles that you want to get to and click the button, and then it's all done automatically for you. You can see across the hundreds or thousands of people that you know, all of the people that they can help you get to at those at those companies, and you can see how well they know those people. That is the critical differentiator, because Jim really knew Henri. They had a very strong relationship. There was no way to see that, though. The only way that I could find that information out was by asking Jim. With Connect the Dots, all of that's visible now. So if Jim and I were doing that today, I could click on a button, see AMD, and see Jim has uh, this very strong relationship with Henri. And that would have been very visible to me, along with hundreds or thousands of other relationships like that that Jim has that could be relevant for me or other people at our company.
1: Wow. So there you wow. Go. That That is, that is <laughs> efficiency and effectiveness that you're talking about there. And Obviously, at Connect the Dots, you've got this entrepreneurial role. You founded the company, and and you're driving the growth of that company. What has that experience been like? And again, you've been through it a couple of times now as a company founder. But just from your perspective, what just describe that experience?
0: Well, I'm not the one who coined this, but uh, it's it's like you know <laughs> eating broken glass every day and enjoying it enough to keep doing it again tomorrow. Uh, it's tough. You know, it's tough being uh, an entrepreneur starting from scratch. Um, I uh, I uh, I would say this. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you really have to love the problem that you're solving. Um, and you really have to love the process of solving that problem, because there are other things that you can do that, uh, you know, are a lot easier. There are other things that you can do that you know have a higher probability of success than entrepreneurship. Um, but uh, we've been—I've uh, been incredibly lucky in that uh, the network that I built at Salesforce was incredible for me. Um, the expertise that I built at uh, Salesforce was very applicable, and actually, the entire idea for this came from the early days of Salesforce. So I've had some advantages um, through through you know <laughs> through some hard work and also a lot of luck uh, from my Salesforce experience. That this has been great. You know, we've we've been uh, very effective at finding the right investors who are excited about our vision, finding the right uh, coworkers uh, and co-founders who want to solve this problem as badly as I do at finding our first customers uh, who are excited about it and, uh, and benefiting from, you know, leveraging their networks now. So um, it's a, it's a hard path. uh, If you take, if you decide to go the path of the entrepreneur, but it's ultimately, the most rewarding thing. And I can't really imagine doing anything else.
1: Yeah. It's the ultimate reward, but there's the risk, there's the pressure, all of that, but uh, for, for a tremendous uh, reward. Now, one of the other things I talk about in the impact makers is exceptional leadership. We build that on the servant leader mindset, but you obviously uh, are a leader yourself. You've worked with exceptional leaders what do you feel are the most important ingredients for truly exceptional, not just good, but exceptional leadership?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, luckily, I did have a front row seat for this. Um, and Jim Seal's is an incredible leader. Uh, you know, and, and Mark Benioff and, and I, uh, I had the privilege of working with a lot of other in- incredible leaders at Salesforce, uh, Susan St. Ledger, Carl Schachter, uh, the list goes on. And um, so a couple of things that jump out to me. Uh, one is, uh, is you got to paint the narrative and Mark is the master at this. You know, uh, the, the, the as, when we go back to the dot-com bubble bursting, that could have been a horrible narrative. That could have been, oh no, this is, the sky is falling. This is the end of days. Instead, you know, Mark looked at the situation and he realized like, okay, the narrative here for us is. This is going to be really bad for a lot of companies. It's going to wipe a lot of weak weak companies out. They're going to be gone. We're not one of those companies. We are fundamentally a great company with a great technology that's solving an amazing problem that affects lots and lots of companies, and we're doing it the best. And so this is our opportunity to claim more market share than everybody else and to go up market because... Uh, companies uh, that were planning on spending a million or $10 million on something like Siebel or Oracle uh, before the dot-com bubble burst are no longer going to do it. They don't have the budget anymore. And so this is our opportunity to come in and say, Hey guys, try our technology. It's, it's very low risk. It's a lot less expensive and you can use it as a stopgap measure for the next year or two until you've got budget to do the big Oracle or Siebel implementation. And then you can turn us off and turn that thing on if you want. And that's exactly what we did, and it worked great. So, uh, controlling that narrative internally, externally, um, it, you know, and in your own mind, <laughs> you, you as CEO, yeah. what do you believe is going to happen? I think that's that is uh, one trait. I'd say another trait is uh, transparency. Um, I think you know the, the I've seen a lot of bad companies, and you, by the way, I've seen some companies succeed not being transparent. That happens too. Um, and, you know, so there are a lot of ways to be successful. Uh, you know, I, this, I'm not saying that these are the only ways to be successful, but certainly my preference is, you know, leadership that's transparent, that's telling you what the reality is, what is going on right now? You know, what is our funding situation? What's the, you know, what are the problems with our technology? Um, uh, what are we going to do about that? You know, Salesforce had a lot of problems with uh, reliability for a while. It became our number one problem. Uh, the, the site would go down, and uh, companies were, you know, running, if not mission critical, pretty close to mission critical operations on us. And uh, and you know, Mark looked at looked the problem right in the eye and got together with the team, and then got together with the entire company and said, guys, we have a problem. You know, our our uptime is not what it needs to be, and this is going to cost. It's costing us customers. They, they we uh, we're losing some customers, and we also can't close some new ones because we're getting a bad reputation. Here is what we are going to do about it, and then laid out the plan and focused on it, and that was incredible, and, and we did it. And that, that would lead me to the next thing, which is uh, focus and getting everybody on the same page. Uh, so uh, Mark came up with a an approach to this. A lot of companies in the world right now, I think the most popular model for this is called OKRs, Objectives and Key Results, uh, coming up with a way a structure for all come uh, everybody in the company to understand what the company is moving towards and and what success looks like. Mark's uh, model was called and is still called V2MOM. And it's V-V-M-O-M. It's an acronym that stands for Vision, Values, Methods, Obstacles, and Mm -hmm. Metrics. And uh, it is a great way to uh, uh, go through a process with your leadership team to make sure you're all on the same page, that you've voiced all of your concerns about what your strategy is and your ability to execute it and get everything on the table. Everything can be said. And then uh, make sure that uh, now that everything's been said, you come up with a strategy that everybody buys into. And once you've bought into that as an, as a leadership team, then communicating that to the rest of the organization and cascading that down to everyone else. Uh, having that ability to get everybody on the same page and be crystal clear about what we're working towards and what success looks like, uh, I think is a huge, huge part of uh, being uh, you know really effective leadership. And, and like, as I said, I got to see it up close and personal for 10 years at um, at Salesforce. And we do our own version of that at Connect the Dots as well. And I think that is uh, uh, critical uh, to, to being
1: an excellent leader. Some great examples in there. And obviously you've had so many experiences beyond Salesforce and, and being a company founder, creating those connections, those relationships. But through all of that, Drew, what is the best piece of business advice you've ever received?
0: I've I've gotten a lot, Um, but I I think the number one would be um, play the long game. Uh, You know, think about your relationships. Think about your life as uh, as a you know it's a marathon. (laughs) A lot of stuff's going to happen. You're gonna you're gonna work in this company for some period of time. You might have different roles in this company. People who are your customers today might be your coworkers tomorrow. They might be your co-founders in the future. Uh, You know who who knows what relationships uh turn into and evolve uh, uh, into over time. And uh, so don't you know don't be too myopic on the near term things that you're trying to accomplish. Uh, keep the the longer term perspective that all of these relationships that you're building can become amazing relationships over time, rich in ways that you can't even uh, imagine yet. and um, and that if you take that perspective, you pay it forward. Uh, and you know you uh, you bring your authentic self to all of those relationships uh, it really pays off over time
1: yeah it makes a lot of sense and we're obviously in very very turbulent dynamic change times right in the last couple of years uh, really unprecedented but through all that when you look to the future drew what makes you optimistic
0: uh, well I mean, My default perspective is pretty optimistic. So it's a lot of things. Um, Right now, I'd say GPT chat makes me optimistic that, man, (laughs) there are so many new problems that can be solved. It's kind of crazy. Like I'm seeing things, you know, layers being built on top of GPT uh, chat right now that are just mind-blowing. I saw a GPT chat um, bot uh, successfully dispute a... um, a bank wire fee with a live uh, agent on the phone. And so it, it it's just, I, we're at the very, very early innings of uh, AI being able to take over lots of mundane tasks like that and then more and more sophisticated tasks. So, you know, that's that's one thing that makes me optimistic. I, I would also say, um, you know, I, I think uh, taking a, a zoom out on social issues, you know, you know maybe for a moment, um, I think liberal democracy <laughs> has been under assault here for a, a while, and uh, and I'm I'm taking some heart in seeing that um, that Ukraine uh, is I, I thought you know probably like much of the rest of the world that that might be uh, uh, might crumble quickly under uh, the weight of a, a Russian um, invasion uh, last year, and it didn't, and it doesn't look like it's going to. I mean, knock on wood. Who knows what the future is. But it looks like, um, it looks like liberal democ- democracy is, uh, uh, hasn't crumbled, and if anything, it's maybe strengthened because of this. Um, so I know that that's kind of breaking you know, out- outside of our uh, uh, you know, technology and business focus, but I am optimistic about that, and um, I think we all should be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, as we start wrapping up our conversation, do you have any other final advice for business leaders that are looking to achieve breakthrough performance?
0: Yes, um, one easy one, uh, or actually, let me say uh, simple, but it maybe isn't easy. And that is um, find a meditation practice and do it, do it every day. And uh, for me, that's uh, I. Some years ago, I I uh, got a book on meditation techniques and learned a technique and started doing it. And then a few years later, after doing it myself, the homegrown way, I took a transcendental uh, meditation class and learned how to do it the way that they uh, suggest. And um, I now almost every morning spend between 20 and 30 minutes uh, meditating before I do anything else. And that really centers me and calms me and uh, puts me in, a, I think, a a great uh, mindset to tackle the day's challenges and to be excited about them and to deal with others in a loving and compassionate way, deal with myself in a loving and compassionate way. And really just perform at a very high level um, relative to the days that I don't, because every once in a while I don't do it. And I usually I feel the difference. I'm not performing at the same level. So that is my one super hack. Uh, meditate.
1: Well, listen, Drew, we've covered a lot of ground here. What an amazing journey and optimistic path ahead. Really appreciate you coming on, sharing what it was like to really be part of this unique special experience at Salesforce and then what that has propelled you into authentic, trusted relationships and business success since then and going forward. Thanks again for joining.
0: Thanks so much, Dan. enjoyed it.
1: And a reminder to everyone to please continue to rate and review. Give us the gift of feedback. We want to continue to make this podcast better. You can easily do that by going out and giving us your feedback on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.